Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. So our topic today is mistletoe, mishaps, and mandatory fun at work. Chris, what are we going to talk about today? (laughs) All right, Ben, we're going to talk about holiday parties and other office social events gone wild. Oh, gosh. And uh, office romance, fraternization, harassment, and a better way forward. And mandatory fun, which is you will go to this event that's social. (laughs) And how to approach these events as an organization or leader. Awesome. Wow. That's uh, that's going to be a fun one. So well, why don't we start with uh, the whole holiday parties and and other office social events gone wild? And maybe we could just start with, you know, some examples from our own experiences. So I know you have a couple, right? Yeah. So, you know, as a consultant and somebody that's in a lot of different organizations, you end up going to um, I don't know. Some of them are really good, but you end up going to probably more than of these in a season than you should. So, mm. so, and, and normally it's always been when booze has been involved. So, um, I don't know. I was at this one Christmas party where this guy got really like angry drunk, you know, and he like oh, walked no. outside of this pub that was hosting the event and, and punched a homeless guy. Oh like, my gosh. I know. <laughs> it was like, I, you have like no context for it. You know, the, <laughs> so this guy is homeless and, you know, that's not a really good spot, but this guy walked out in front of the boss and everybody. And let's just say it wasn't a good outcome for him afterwards, but, um, yikes, yikes. Yeah. What about you, Ben? Well, so interestingly, and probably not coincidentally, the ones that I that come to mind immediately for me also involve alcohol. Uh, seems to be a common denominator in some of the the mishaps part of these social events at work. And you know, um, I remember one kind of a formal dinner type thing that we had where there was a reception kind of beforehand, like a cocktail hour before the dinner, and it was open bar. And someone decided, which was fine, I guess, but then one person decided that they were going to, you know, uh, basically take a couple bottles of the, of the booze from behind the bar and then bring them, in, bring them into the, the formal dinner and that kind of stuff. And some people got a little upset about that and so forth. And then just, you know, various other things where people have had maybe drank too much and then uh, said inappropriate things, or maybe we're overly for in, informal with each other or with the boss. And it's just, it, it gets yucky. And, uh, you know, it's one of these things where it's, it's an event that's supposed to be great. It's supposed to be fun and so forth. And parts of it are and so forth, but you know, the outcome can be kind of, um, you know, counterproductive in a lot of different ways. Yeah. I, it's so interesting to me because it's almost trite to even say Christmas parties, booze, um, career limiting shenanigans, right? They're almost, <laughs> you know, that's like almost e equals MC square of Christmas parties. Right, right. It, it is. And, you know, in addition to these events, these parties where uh, people maybe are behaving badly or you have some sort of incident, 
Uh, there are plenty of events like this that are just lame. They're just not fun. They're, uh, it's something that the organization sets up or the leader sets up. No one really wants to go, but they really feel obligated to go. They feel like they, they have to show their face and so forth. And, uh, you know, so that's another thing that I think we need to address. Yeah, maybe people drink because the party's so lame. Maybe they do. <laughs> They're just like, I want to forget you know, how, how bad this party is, perhaps. Inner child crying out for some entertainment. <laughs> yeah, and then they create their own entertainment. <laughs> right, right. So that's one theory, absolutely. Okay, so obviously I think everybody uh, you know who's been around the workplace for a long time probably has lots of examples of these, and it's not hard to think of them. And, you know, it's not to say that there's no place for holiday parties or social events at work. Sometimes these can be really great and can be really fun. Um, but there are some uh, potential pitfalls. So why don't we, you know, just go through from our experience, from our observations, some of those pitfalls for leaders, some of those pitfalls for organizations that can come with the whole idea of setting up a holiday party or other types of social events for your people. Yeah, you know, one of the things that's interesting and that's newer, newish in the HR world is, you know, checking out uh, applicants' social media. You know, <laughs> okay, this guy seemed really good. And then you go on his Facebook and you find out that he's in like really reprehensible organizations or um, that person is, you know, just conducting themselves in a way that wouldn't reflect well on the company. And so you don't move ahead with that candidate. Mm -hmm. Well, what's so interesting is, you know, how you behave when you're under the influence of alcohol. If it's bad, it represents how you behave away from work. So if I see somebody um, at a Christmas event or something like that, and they are ripped and they are not funny, haha, but actually really bad, you know that probably on the weekend somewhere, they're getting ripped and acting badly in a way that reflects poorly or would reflect poorly on the company. So, mm -hmm. hey, don't do it. So if you know that you're a not so good uh, boozer, you know, that's that. Don't be a boozer at your holiday event. Right, right. Yeah. The key here is to know your limits. Don't embarrass yourself with alcohol. And, you know, remember that people are are noticing right? This is still a work event and you right. still have work people around you and so forth. So, uh, and, and like you mentioned, how you act in those situations very could well represent how you act away from work as well. Right. Right. You know, another, yeah. And another part of this is as an organization, you want to think carefully about these types of events so that you're not creating some sort of situation that puts the organization in some big risk, you know, legal or otherwise. And, you know, I'm thinking like, you know, don't, don't do stuff like have uh, a big party that's somewhere, somewhere kind of remote where it's, uh, you know, people definitely have to drive themselves there and you have open bar and alcohol is this huge thing. And then expect everybody to, you know, get in their cars and drive home. Right. Um, you want to think those types of things through. Um, and, you know, you want to make sure that you have, well before any kind of social event like this, you want to make sure you have good policies and understandings in place regarding some of the stuff we'll talk about here in a little while, uh, things such as fraternization and 
sexual harassment and stuff like that. Right. And especially if you're a big organization, those same access issues for Americans with disabilities and other things should apply mm-hmm. to the a venue that you're going to. Right. You don't want to make these types of things uh, events that exclude people. And, you know, sometimes leaders will when they're coming up with ideas about some sort of social event for other people, they will very naturally think about things that they think are fun and things that they enjoy doing. But that very well might, might not be something that more broadly applies across the uh, the organization, especially if you have a highly diverse workforce. Yeah, I, I always call those fishing rod gifts. You know, the husband <laughs> gifts their wife a fishing rod because that's just what she always wanted, which if she does, that's great. But, yeah. you know, make sure it's something that that the group really wants. Right, right. Because, you know, every every wife actually wants a Peloton. That's right. So, yeah, exactly. All that on TV. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, uh, you know, another thing that I think is important is that organizations and leaders need to realize that they shouldn't be forcing these types of events upon people. We'll talk about this more in, in a minute, but. You know, what we call this, I don't know if this is a military only phrase, but it's its definitely that's the first place that I came across this phrase. But the idea of mandatory fun, you know, right. um, is, is that common in the army as well? Uh, well, it's hard for me to say because pretty much everybody in my extended family is in the military. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know if there's a military family barrier in my life. <laughs> yeah. So so your mandatory fun was at home as well. <laughs> yeah. They said, all right, mandatory family fun time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but the point is that a lot of times that mandatory fun isn't fun. So we'll talk about that a little bit more here in a minute. Uh, so that's another pitfall. You don't want to force those events upon people. Uh, another thing that's important to keep in mind is, you know, you, you can't make these after work activities um, mandatory, really, um, especially for people who are on a on an hourly wage scale, uh, you can't make them mandatory unless people are on the clock, right? That's that can be a tricky thing HR wise because basically you're requiring them to be at work because the this you know event is an extension of the workplace in a way, and so uh, you you can't you know make them do this stuff in an unpaid status, so to speak. Uh, so you got to be careful about that too. Right. And that, you know, working parents have schedules and, yeah. you know, it's, it's not, they can't tell the daycare, Hey, just tack on another two hours mm-hmm. or, and, and that creates a burden for some people. And I know in some organizations they say, well, you know, Steve wasn't at the party. I don't know if Steve's a team player, right? Well, Steve may be a single parent that doesn't have another option. So you need to make sure that uh, as leaders that you're aware of those kinds of situations. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or maybe that, that person has a, a, you know, an elder parent that they're taking care of and they can't leave them alone. All those kinds of things um, are really important. And, you know, a lot of times people can make these, um, these false attributions about why someone's maybe not there. You know, it could could be a whole host of reasons, including that they just have other things that they have to do related to their family life. So definitely keep that in mind. Right. Now, let's talk about power status differentials. Oh, so um, at these events is normally a time for socialization between different levels of management and um, I don't know how you, regular workers, you know, mm-hmm. Um subject matter experts, so, you know, the software developer all the way to the CEO. Right. And normally there wouldn't be 
that much exposure throughout a business day. You know, you may see the CEO for a quarterly meeting or something, but here you're in a, you know, there is a costume change here and it can feel like you're not at work anymore. You've taken your tie off or, you know, you've put on a ugly Christmas sweater, right? And, <laughs> and, and it starts to feel more frenzy, right? Mm -hmm. the, the relationship feels more colloquial and don't, don't fall for that trick that the hierarchy still exists and those managers and executives are still have their thinking and judging caps on. Mm -hmm. So, so make sure that your mind and your P's and Q's, and this could be an excellent time to highlight maybe a little bit of your, uh, hobbies, your, who you are outside of work, but make sure that that's filtered in a work appropriate way. Exactly. So you have to exercise some really good judgment there. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of pitfalls there. If you are kind of deceived, uh, by the, the context, the costume change, uh, so to speak, and you start acting in a too friendly manner with everyone around you. Um, I think it is important to note that, you know, there is, there is benefit to getting to know people kind of in a different context and, um, you know, learn more about who they really are and so forth. There, there are huge benefits to that. So I don't, we don't want to discount that and say that that's all bad. Um, but this is, this is one of those things that is, um, you know, there's kind of a paradox here where you need to know where that line is and just tread carefully, regardless of whether or not you are the, you know, the, the subordinate, so to speak in this situation, or if you are the more senior level person, you know, I've seen, in some of these situations where a senior level person will see this as an opportunity to, you know, make friends with everybody and show how cool they are. And I think that that's very problematic as well. Right. And, and you, I just feel the need to say this because despite there being so many internet articles, LinkedIn will always have something, right? I, I just see it all the time. So if you're a line level employee, I see, you know, shenanigan behavior. And then same thing, you know, if you're just stepped up into a director role and you're just now being weighted as an executive and you flush your executive presence mm -hmm. in front of the other executives, that's just not good. You still need to maintain some decorum. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think we've already mentioned this, but just acting crazy or becoming the story the next day uh, at some sort of company event, this can certainly be a career limiting decision. You know, if you walk into that party where and everyone really respects you and thinks highly of you and thinks you're competent, and then you make some decisions about, you know, getting on the dance floor a little too early or acting a little too crazy or uh, maybe doing something even worse, you know, people will start to see you much differently and that, that can carry over back into the actual workplace. Right. And even in organizations where it's a little bit loose, like sales organizations, they're used to whining and dining clients. Mm -hmm. and it's, but, you know, I saw a guy, you know, having so much fun by himself on the dance floor. He took off his shirt and was dancing with oh, himself. No. And so all the emails he's getting the next day are the, you know, the, that 80s song dancing with myself or, you know, and he, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he actually survived. He, he was young. Really? Some of the older sales guys said, listen, man, <laughs> this, 
Thank you for making it the best Christmas party ever, but we can't recommend this way. <laughs> oh gosh, I, I, that's just that's just so funny. I'm sorry. Um, no, yeah. gosh. <laughs> and you know, I think the a thing here. So we're kind of talking about these power and status differentials. Be wary of those interactions across power levels. You know, um, if the CEO is at the party, by all means, like go over, say hi. You know, be polite. Uh, you know, introduce. You know, um, your uh, you know, maybe if you have a plus one at the party, introduce that person to to the CEO and, you know, make some small talk, maybe uh, mention a couple other things, say thanks for the party. But but know, you know, kind of when to step out and don't if it's not the culture in your organization, you know, don't be overly informal with that person. Uh, so a lot of this does kind of come back, as we'll talk about here in a little bit, comes back to these cultural norms about what what is appropriate in your organization versus some other organizations, you know? So there are certain things that you might do at a, a, a party uh, in the civilian world, for example, that you would not do at a party in the military, you know? So um, keeping that in mind is very important. Yeah. And it, if you're an executive or management, this could be a good time to just introduce yourself to some people, you know, Hey, mm -hmm. Hey, accounting person, I'm so-and-so that gets, you know, sends you emails monthly. Nice to finally meet you. Thanks for a good year. You know, those those are times where you can get kind of put in face with a name type item. Those can be really good. But chilling out across those uh, power levels, you just need to be aware of what your perception of authority would be afterwards. Make right. sure you're professional. And, and sometimes it might be the case where, you know, let's say a certain kind of level of employees are, are huddling together and talking and stuff. And that's very natural. You know, um, the and, and then the boss comes over and starts talking with them as well. They, they probably don't want you there for too long anyway. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they go, need some time to be like, well, th this guy stinks. <laughs> yeah. And, and so just be mindful of that. Like, don't don't think that everybody wants to hear your jokes and, and everything. Uh, you know, go say hi, hang out with them for a few minutes, then, you know, go out on a high note and, and walk away. Uh, same thing if you're in, you know, a lower level uh, person in the organization. If you see a group of, you know, directors or VPs or whatever, you know, by all means, you know, you can say hi and so forth. But they probably don't want you to like hang around them the entire night either. So, uh, you know, remember that these types of things, these uh, this hierarchy and so forth does still exist in this environment, even though the context has changed. It, you got it. And and that brings me to another thing, Ben. I think Christmas parties are a great time to finally make a romantic move on that person you've been thinking about all year. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, pr probably not, you know. Right. <laughs> oh, gosh. But you do see that. I mean, that, that's like the, um, probably one of the more common horror stories in uh you know, one of the mishaps that happens at these types of things, you know, it's the, uh, the, the, the booze and the mistletoe and whatever. And, um, some then, of those ugly sweaters are irresistible. So, <laughs> well, th th that, that definitely is true. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So let's, let's talk about romance and, you know, the term fraternization. Um, since I see that happen at these Christmas parties all the time and now I, we might as well talk about it. So yes, yes, let's do that. So, uh, you know, I, I think, um, you know, fraternization is a, a term that is kind of pounded into us, at least in the, the Navy, 
um, from a very early on um, stage, you know, uh, whenever you're even before I was actually commissioned as an officer, like, you know, knowing what that is and so forth. And so but I don't know if it's quite as common of a term that's, you know, thought about in the civilian world, although I have seen it uh, many times in some HR policies and so forth. But basically, this is an unduly uh, friendly relationship or unduly familiar relationship between uh, across those different levels. Right. right. So th this doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. It could just be like, you know, I'm really good friends and I talk and I joke around all the time with this one really junior person. And and the, the reason that that's difficult and cre can create some big issues is it can can create some um, issues of either real or perceived favoritism within the organization. And that can just be a real culture killer uh, and uh, can lead to a whole whole host of things that are unproductive. Yeah, and especially if you're trying to build a culture of meritocracy. We've yeah. all been in organizations where, hey, this junior person has the CEO's favor on mm -hmm. them, right? And that one, we can tell that Billy's being groomed for the top slot, even though Billy's 18, you know, it <laughs> just started. But that being said, there can be form, especially if you have formalized process around uh junior employees and senior employees um that kind of cross-generational stuff can be good but if mm -hmm. it's overly chummy and starts to dip into that fraternization you know side that's that's not good which means right. then should people have formalized processes around this stuff there should be some policies some procedures um other types of things that that hr should have spelled out for the organization um some you know policies that talk about what fraternization is uh and you know what it how it should be prevented and so forth should also have some uh some policies that relate to office romance right and the tricky thing here is that the you know a a fairly decent sized um chunk of the population actually does meet their romantic partners and even their you know maybe long uh lifelong spouses and so forth at work like that's the tricky thing it does happen right well yeah because with the hours you hit it's not it's not like you have gobs and gobs and hours to to pursue a whole lot it depending on your career field right, right. so uh, monster.com did a big survey um you know what is it monster worldwide inc but they asked mm -hmm. visitors to their site um do you think a date do you think a dating a colleague would harm your career prospects and would you do it? And they got 5,100 responses uh, internationally. So 39% of respondents answered yes, harmful, and I would never date a colleague. 19% hmm. uh, of uh, people said yes, harmful, but I would date a colleague anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> the, the, the 19... You know, maybe that was the dancing with himself guy, right? Yeah. You know, some of those answers there. 15% of respondents said not harmful, but I would never date a colleague. Mm. And 27% said not harmful and I would date a colleague. Um, wow. So, yeah, there's a mix there of, of, of people's views. But what that says is that you got to have policies because a bunch of different people will have different thoughts about how this should play out in the workplace. Right, right. And, and you know, if if as an HR department or as an organization, you say, we're just going to forbid this, good luck. Like, it's it's got, you can go ahead and do it. It's going to happen anyway. 
What's important instead is to have some definitions around, you know, what should happen if it happens. Uh, for example, you know, let's say a manager and one of uh, his or her people develop some sort of romantic relationship. Well, that needs to be disclosed and the, uh, you know, that person can't be reporting to his or her romantic partner anymore like that, because that just creates a, another you know, set of issues around uh, favoritism and so forth, especially if that person is evaluating that person's performance. Right. Yeah. So that's a, a very typical thing. Yeah. And don't wait for shenanigans to go down before you make your policies. <laughs> right. Because then, it, you know, it's, a, oh, oh, yeah, that's the bill policy. Remember when <laughs> bill, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's the dancing with myself policy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> thou, thou, thou shalt not take off your shirt and dance by yourself at the party right and i mean the, the stuff is it, it it's it is important to have it in place beforehand like that's the key here because otherwise it does become uh you know perception is that it's a, a knee-jerk reaction to something that happened and so be proactive about this not reactive about it that's the key here Right. So, so Ben, that, that's bring us to the darker side of this. So yeah. rather than like a bad, hey, Sandra, would you like to go to lunch? No, Bill, don't ask me ever again. You know, okay. Mm -hmm. Right. But actually, and this is really um, needful in this time to talk a little bit about sexual harassment. So, right, right. And we're going to talk about it, I think, a little bit more generally, um, but we're talking about it within the context of these social events, because a lot of times the mishaps that happen at these social events, be it a holiday party or something else, uh, can involve some sort of sexual harassment. It's kind of this this cocktail of, you know, a social event, uh, alcohol and, uh, you know, sexual harassment. So. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about kind of some types and categories and so forth to help people understand exactly what it is. But, you know, I think the big, uh, big picture here and a big thing that we're trying to do with this podcast and with all, all of our work really is, you know, to promote human flourishing at work and great organizations help everyone flourish at work. And from that perspective, sexual harassment is a major impediment to flourishing at work. And it's illegal. So, and it's it's horrible. Right. I mean, it, it's not the way that we need to be moving forward as as people on this planet. Right. Exactly. So, sexual harassment involves both words and actions. Uh, it can be across any combination of genders. Um, you know, it's not just the men who are doing this to women. Um, even though you know, oftentimes that's that's what we hear about. Uh, it can really be in any combination. And one of the better definitions of sexual harassment actually comes from a book that I use for my graduate level HR class that I teach. And the book is called The Manager's Guide to HR by Max Muller. And uh, he's an attorney, so it, it can be a, a fairly risk uh, heavy type of um, read, but it's good. But what he, he talks about sexual harassment, he defines it as unwelcome sexual advances, requests for sexual favors, and other verbal or physical conduct of a sexual nature that explicitly or implicitly affects an individual's employment, unreasonably interferes with an individual's work performance, or creates an intimidating, hostile, or offensive work environment. So there's a lot that goes into this. Right. Uh, yeah. So, Ben, 
let's just dive into the categories. So sure. there's basically two general categories. The, the first one's quid quo pro or yes. quid pro quo. Uh, what is that? So quid pro quo is this for that. And this is where the harasser has some sort of authority. They have the ability to reward or punish in some way. And uh, they uh, use that authority to try to obtain some sort of sexual favor, right? Uh, be it a, uh, you know, you get this promotion if you go out on this date with me, that kind of stuff. Um, and the key here from an employer standpoint is to remember that the employer is liable for actions of supervisors, uh, those people who have authority, uh, because you know supervisors are considered an agent of the organization. So that's the quid pro quo stuff, and it's actually you know relatively straightforward in terms of what it is, because it's a, a, a conditional thing. This for that. The other category, though, which is actually broader, is called hostile work environment. And so this is when a, uh, a person or persons are creating a work a situation at work that's hostile, intimidating, or offensive, uh, and, and it negatively affects someone's ability to do his or her job through words or actions of a sexual nature. So it has to be something of a sexual nature. It has to uh, be something that is that a reasonable person would see as unwelcomed, uh, and it also needs to negatively affect people's ability to do their job. So you can kind of see that this this can be uh, a much broader range of activities, and there's much more um, subjectivity in terms of what it is. Uh, you know, because the, basically the legal standard is it needs to be it's the reasonable person standard. You know, um, right. So it can be somewhat more difficult to prove than a quid pro quo case, but uh, it's definitely a big part of sexual harassment overall. All right, and also just think as a individual rep no matter where you're at in the organization, what do you want your personal brand to be? And I'm, yeah. I'm specifically thinking around items that might be, I don't know, this seems like a dated generational term, but locker room talk. Mm. Um, you know, the way you conduct yourself when people are losing their minds a little bit and the way they're talking about stuff, which, you know, a lot of it may just be puffery and baloney, but don't let that stuff, that kind of, dialogue, sully your personal brand, really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That, that's very important. Uh, and, you know, things that may have been considered acceptable or were tolerated in years past in the workplace um, oftentimes are not acceptable today. And so that's where some people can get themselves into trouble by by thinking that the, the standards are the same when, in fact, you know, societal norms have changed in a lot of ways related to all of this uh yeah, this change for the better in my view right so, right exactly yeah so yeah I, I think we can talk a little bit now about what some some things that employers should do um to try to mitigate this risk of se sexual harassment to try to get ahead of this and again you know do this kind of stuff before it actually happens right and if you don't have a policy on sexual harassment and hostile work environment and those kind of items you you need to get with SHRM, which we'll put a link to in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Ben, uh, what is SHRM? So SHRM is a Society for Human Resource Management. So it's the largest professional organization for HR professionals. And, you know, if you're a member, you can easily get, you know, a template for this kind of stuff and then customize it to fit your organization. Uh, and, uh, you know, your, your HR people better be familiar with that kind of stuff. Otherwise you need new HR people, but, um, 
you know, have that policy and complaint procedure, make sure people uh, have a copy of it, right? Um, you can also make sure that that policy and procedure is incorporated into your other documents that you have. So for example, you should have some sort of employee handbook, um, but that's not enough. Like don't just stick it in a, a binder or something and say, you know, oh, well, we have a policy, right? You need to also follow that up with providing some training, posting it somewhere that's visible, uh, you know, redistribute it as necessary, retrain periodically uh, so that you keep keep this, you know, fresh in people's minds, um, as well as, you know, ha have this be part of your orientation process so that people new who are coming into the organization know what is expected, know what is not expected and uh, and can can be aligned right from day one. Yeah. And a, a big thing about policies, and this goes from everything from IT security all the way down to um, your fraternization policy, uh, that these have to be living, breathing documents that are updated. So if there's mm. something that goes on and you go to court and they're like, well, let's see your manual. And it has the date 1965 on it, <laughs> right? Doesn't look so good for you. Um, and, and the thing is, these policies document what is a living action within the organization. So, you know, if you have an IT policy, one of the big parts that is part of audits now and should be a part of your internal audit for your organization is, OK, here's the policy. Now tell me, how are you validating that that's being checked up on and living within the organization? Wow. Yeah, that's that's a part that I think a lot of organizations miss. Right. And and I mentioned Sherm because I continually run into some of these smaller organizations that we do work for. And, you know, they just have somebody that, okay, you're interested in HR. Well, here. And, you know, that is a professional community that you should be plugging into if you're a lone HR operator within a smaller organization. Yes. Yes. That's, that's definitely the case. And it's also important to make sure that these policies and procedures are well-constructed you know, you should, with regard to sexual harassment, clearly explain what is prohibited. So have something clear in there about fraternization, about uh, romantic relationships, about what sexual harassment is. And you, know, you could consider including in that some explanations of the four big types. So the way I kind of think of sexual harassment is there's these two categories, one quid pro quo, two hostile work environment, but then there are kind of four big types of sexual harassment. And the first one is visible or is ver uh, verbal Um Sexual harassment. So this is when people make suggestive comments or propositions, uh, jokes, that kind of stuff. Uh, then there's physical sexual harassment, which would be actual assault, um, sexual gestures, inappropriate touching, you know, the um, being handsy, that kind of stuff. Uh, visual sexual harassment, inappropriate images, videos, and this is you know regardless of how it's distributed. So you know. Um, a lot of this happens via mobile technology nowadays. So regardless of how it's distributed, it can be considered sexual harassment and then sexual favors. So this kind of falls into um, or can fall into the quid pro quo category, but pressuring people for dates, unwanted advances of some sort and, uh, you know, conditioning some sort of employment benefit upon that exchange. So, you know, have some explanations about those big types in your policy. Right. And, you know, this is something you can have this policy, but if people don't have a means of reporting these incidents um, that protects them, mm -hmm. you might as well not have a policy. Right. Right. So you got to have a kind of harassment whistleblower protection, something that's meaningful and clearly describe how that complaint process work mm -hmm. works. Mm -hmm. So 
and it can't be overly rigid. It has to be a workable thing for anybody because when this when this kind of behavior happens, people are worried about their job, how they'd be perceived by their coworkers and those kinds of things. And then what are some other, you know, best practices for the complaint process? Right. So it should, should allow for some flexibility, you know, shouldn't be overly rigid. Like, you know, you must talk to your supervisor first, right? Because your supervisor might be the one who's doing it. So right. it should allow for some bypassing of the chain of command, so to speak. Uh, you also want to have some information in there about time frames. So like you can't wait 10 years and then claim that you were sexually harassed at the holiday party back in, you know, whatever, uh, that's, that's not going to work because there are statutes of limitations for filing this, these types of, um, complaints. Um, and you know, generally, you know, sooner is better. Uh, and there, there are some differences across different States and so forth, but I'll just say that, um, you know, to be safe, uh, you know, do it within 180 days. That's kind of a general rule of thumb here. Um, and make sure that, that people are, uh, are doing that in a timely manner. Uh, you also want to make sure that there's, you know, some, some protection of confidentiality to the extent possible, but you don't want in your policy to be guaranteeing people total confidentiality because, you know, that's, that, that can really put you in a bind. Um, there may be situations in which you need to share what happened with other parties, uh, have a prompt throw and impartial investigation. Uh, so this is something that you can conduct internally. Sometimes organizations will bring in outside help to, uh, to do that investigation. Uh, but make sure you do that in a, a prompt and thorough way and, and make sure it's impartial. You, you don't want to, you know, because people will and sometimes do uh, make accusations that are not warranted. So you don't want to, you know, jump to conclusions about what actually happened. Um, and if if you have determined that something has happened, uh, then, you know, taking some quick and appropriate action is important. Right. And those should be listed out in your policies, right? You know, is it a warning, reprimand, you know, or fired? You know, there, right. you know, there's a bunch of different things you can do. You need to be very clear, work with your legal counsel, and and Sherm's got great, great advice, better advice than we could cover in this episode. Sure, sure. And, you know, any of these types of policies, I will mention, it's, it's helpful to have an employment attorney look them over if you need to, uh, if you feel like you, that would give you some more assurance of of uh, its defensibility, but uh, definitely some some things you want to consider there in terms of corrective actions. You also want to be commensurate or proportional in your response to any kind of um, incident that happens. Right. So and so let's we just went through this huge gauntlet of ugh, behavior you hope you never see. Yeah. However, we're talking about it during the Christmas party episode because we've both seen some weird stuff go down. Right. right. So, but practically. If you see the person to your left and right start to, you know, maybe get a little drunk and start to act, you know, hey, hey, buddy, we're going to go hang out over here with Carl. Now's not a good time for you to talk to Sandra. You know, right. you can you can head things off before they happen. Mm hmm. Right. And, you know, this is where you just need to intervene as a bystander. And, you know, this can be this can be tricky because a lot of times people don't feel like they they should or they just kind of feel awkward doing it. But I think sometimes you can do it in kind of an oblique manner, kind of like you just mentioned, like, hey, let's you know, instead of just walking up saying, hey, you are out of line, you know, get out of here. I mean, that may be the case. That might be appropriate in some extreme situations, but saying, hey, let's let's go take a walk. Let's let's, uh, you know, 
I want to chat with you about this thing. Move, remove someone from the situation. That could be helpful. Uh, and and realize that you know if you catch these things before they start to escalate, you can save people's careers, save a lot of pain and effort for them personally, them professionally, and for the organization overall. Right. And and you're also curating what the norms are, that this is not how mm-hmm. we do work around here. And nobody wants to work in a wor- workplace that that's, that's a norm. Only losers, right? Right, so. right. And because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, organizations will become what you tolerate. And when I say you, that's not only people in positions of authority, it's especially people in positions of authority, but it's everyone, right? If you're tolerating certain types of behavior, that be- starts to become, over time, the cultural norm. So the way to change that is by, in a way, you know, being a social deviant in that situation and doing something different. Yeah. So, so Ben, let's move it over to mandatory fun. Um, <laughs> mandatory fun. Right. So if you're the organization um, or a leader within that organization, how should we approach these types of social events? So I think it's a really important topic because many organizations, many leaders, they want to have some sort of social event. They want a holiday party. Maybe it's been something that the organization has done for in years past. They want genuinely to show some appreciation for everyone. Maybe they had a really good year that year. Maybe they just know that everyone's worked hard. They want this to be a, uh, you know, a, a good event. The problem is that it can very easily unintentionally turn into a no fun event. And sometimes, you know, the people who organize it, if it's the leaders, they may not even know it, right? Because right. People, can, people can be very good at, you know, putting on a mask of, oh, it's it's a Christmas party. Let's go show up and, uh, you know, act <laughs> like everything's fun. Ha ha. You know, let's go laugh at the boss's stupid jokes for a while and and uh, then get out of here. Right. So, yeah, this is be- a part of my career where I get to show the CEO how not in touch he is uh, with the rest of the organization. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, you know, and I, I've come across this in a number of different companies where, um, you know, the the leader has really wanted to do something and they put something together and then, you know, they think it went really well. And I go talk to some of the people who maybe were there. And it's not that there was like some incident where, you know, Bob took his shirt off and started dancing with himself or whatever, or there was some sort of big incident. Like it doesn't have to be something like that that happens, but it could be where, you know, yeah, we went and it was just, you know, it was, we, we didn't want to be there, but we went and we, you know, I'd rather go home and clip my toenails than hang out at this horrible event. (laughs) I think I'd rather go relace my shoes, right? Right. (laughs) So So I think it's really important that people, especially the leaders in in charge in an organization, need to realize that, you know, these, um, these events can be a powder keg of risk that you have to handle with care. Um, you know, in terms of how you plan them, how you approach them, um, both from a, you know, some of the stuff we talked about earlier, the mistletoe and the mishaps, but also from the standpoint that you just don't want something that is just wasting people's time and they think is dumb. Right. It You, you don't want that to be part of your organizational brand and you don't want to be that executive that's viewed as obtusely out of touch with their organization. So right. that, that doesn't help you as a leader. 
So which kind of brings us like the military model, you know, the military does pretty good, I think, with mm-hmm. these events. They have dining ins, um, which is, you know, a formalized event that brings people from the unit um, with their partners um, to have a dining uh, the Christmas parties. I know Christmas parties at our unit, we would bring in, um, well, one of the soldiers would get voluntold that they're Santa. <laughs> And they would ride in on this like 1960s, some kind of convertible and pull right on into the armory. And the kids would be like, wow, Santa came in a convertible. You know, they'd get this would be an opportunity to have good photos as a family um, with Santa and some like cheap gifts and that kind of stuff. And then everybody has a buffet and just Mm -hmm. sits and socialize. So it could be a good time to bring. Well, in the culture of the military, because our spouses hang out with each other when we're deployed, you know, that could be a real positive item. Absolutely. Yeah, it can be great. And, you know, a lot of and I think it's important to understand the context here because a lot of a lot of military folks are uh, do have children. Um, You know, actually, I think military families tend to have a few more children on average than other than civilian uh, families. And so, you know, having something that is kid appropriate. So you're not going to have this at, you know nine o'clock at night. You're going to have this probably during the day sometime. And you know, you're going to have something fun with, uh, you know, gifts and so forth, something simple, but then also having, um, you know, some fun stuff for people who don't have children. And I th- I've, you, you know, that's usually what I see too, at these, at these parties is, you know, there's, um, there's some good food. Maybe there's, you know, a goofy photo booth where you can put a Santa hat on and get your picture with your buddy or whatever. Um, you know, that kind of stuff so that you're trying to be inclusive of the different types of people. Cause you know, it's not like everybody in the military is exactly the same. We all have different life situations to some degree. So making sure that everybody feels like they can have a little bit of fun at the event. Yeah. And so here's something. So you go to the Christmas party, you make some witty jokes, you're looking really good. You impress the CEO with some kind of mention of a new business opportunity. And then your plus one is throwing up over the balcony. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, what is that? Like two steps forward, five steps back, you know? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, as long, yeah. Or maybe that's the time when you say, you know, I don't know, Mr. or Mrs. CEO. I don't know who that is over there that's throwing up. <laughs> Gosh, who who's, who brought her? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So so if you bring your partner, realize that you're bringing somebody into an environment that has potential impact to how your career goes. Right. So one of the thing is making sure that attire matches norms. Now, I'm kind of iconoclast, you know. I don't care if somebody's tatted up with blue hair. Uh, you know, I, everybody mm-hmm. should come, in my view, you know, how they are within certain limits. Like, you don't don't come in your birthday suit. But short of that, <laughs> um, it's fine. But that being said, you can't change the way the world operates. And so, you know, to th- throw a line at one side, your plus one should match the norms. And I think most people get this, except I always see there's always two or three that, you know, it's what's that Sesame Street. One of these is not like the others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, be, be aware of that. Yes. Yeah. It's funny because in the military um, way back when, and this is really, really seems strange to, to people today, but <laughs> officer evaluations actually used to, this is decades and decades and decades ago, wow. used to include 
a um, some sort of evaluation of the person's person's spouse. Like, is this like is the person's spouse like appropriate officer material uh, as a spouse? Um, and it, it's 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 pretty horrible sounding now, right? Um, you know, but I think the idea, at least at that time, was that there is like this level of decorum and um, appropriateness that they were trying to enforce, even though in a very bad way. I don't recommend at all that anyone should include that in their performance appraisals at all. Um, you know, but I think to your point, making sure that people, you know, kind of know what the norms are and are ready for that situation. Because you, as the organizational member, you you probably have a good idea of what the norms are, but your partner, your spouse may not. And, and you know, they, they don't want to necessarily feel like, you know, a total outsider there anyway. So, you know, um, give them a little bit of a heads up of what it's going to be like and, and so forth. Right. And on the other side, if you're a leader and everybody's in a dressed up suit and everything and somebody comes in and their plus one is completely not out of the norms, but acting appropriately, this is a time that you can reach out and and not let that person feel othered. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. You know, because so much of this is around cultural performance. Some people miss certain cultural cues and that's fine. You know, are right. they are they kind? Great. Yeah. yeah. So I think as a leader, you know, accepting how people are is definitely important. And you don't want to uh, create a situation at any of these social events where, you know, you're making people feel, uh, you know, excluded, feeling like they shouldn't be there um, because that's really destroying the whole intent of the thing in the first place. Right. Right. And which talking about it, 10, if you're if you're the CEO, is this really about or you're the manager? Is this really about your people or is it about you wanting to feel like what, like a benevolent dictator? <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes I, I, I get the sense when I talk to CEOs who are, you know, they're like, hey, Ben, like I'm thinking about, you know, doing something for the for the folks and so forth. Um, and oftentimes it comes from a very good place. But there are a couple instances that, that I remember where it kind of seems like they're, you know, acting in this benevolent dictator way where it's more about they really want to bestow their graces upon the peasants as tis customary this time of year right it, you know we we will uh give the the scraps from the the king's table to the the, the peasants um you know you i just think you really need to ask yourself as a leader am i trying to do something that uh for the right reasons am i really trying to help people have a good time because you know what um you know sometimes like a day off of work and just go home and do something and like do do holiday stuff with your families that can be a better gift than doing something together right. they're like they're like we've been working our tails off the whole year we don't really want more time with any of these people in fact what we'd like is just a day off you know yeah and and one of the things is to as the leader have your employees determine what's going to be not lame mm -hmm. right and you can still have some control over it. You know, hey, guys, I need three options for a Christmas party and some, you know, here's maybe some budgetary guidelines. Right, right. And I think it's important to, you know, have that group of people that's helping you determine what should be done. Have that be a representative group. So don't just get the folks from ops to plan it. Don't just get the folks from sales to plan it or whatever. Make sure it's, you know, functionally diverse, maybe have some age diversity, um, have some other types of diversity in that in that little task force that you put together uh, so that you can make sure you're representing all those different views, you know? So for example, if you only, if everyone just, you know, happened to be 
folks who, you know, are married with kids in that group. And yet you also have a, a number of employees who are single with no kids and none of them are represented. Well, then you're probably going to come up with some sort of event that, that might exclude what would be fun for the, uh, the folks who don't have children, that kind of stuff. Right, right. But Ben, so there's actually some research around, um, this kind of stuff. What, what's the research say? Yeah. So there's, uh, you know, it's interesting because the, you know, these social events, these holiday parties and so forth, um, they can help to strengthen kind of the emotional bonds between people. Um, but it won't necessarily strengthen the bonds across these different, uh, groups, right? So, um, you know, what, what we find is that, um, when you have racial or other types of dissimilarity within a group, um, you know, the holiday party is probably not going to do a whole lot to, to make uh, those emotional bonds across groups stronger. It, it probably will help kind of within group um, folks feel like they're, they're more connected with each other, but not right. across those groups. And you so, see well, this at, at big parties, right? You do. So, you know, if it's a large enterprise organization, everybody kind of clusters with their own little work group or whatever. But if you if you really and this is a good thing, want to strengthen bonds across different groups, you need a more varied plan. You know, mm -hmm. OK, well, we're going to we're going to bring people together just once a year. Well, you need something better for that. And a Christmas party is really not the, the best place to achieve those kind of goals. Right, right. Uh, yeah, you don't want to, to have something that uh, you're, you're hoping to get everybody, um, you know, working together and being more. Uh, familiar with each other and just have it be, you know, a one-time event. That's not going to really help. So good stuff. Yeah. And some of this stuff can actually backfire. So yeah, certainly can. So you're, you're, you have the right intentions, you get your employees to plan stuff. And this is why you need to curate it a little bit, because depending on how this is executed, you can actually reinforce those fault lines within a team and between teams. Right. Mm -hmm. So Great. So, you know, today, uh, well, we talked about a lot of different things, but, you know, focusing on <laughs> mistletoe mishaps and mandatory fun at work. Um, you know, today we talked about these holiday parties, other social events and how they really can go wild. So keep that in mind as you're starting to plan stuff in your organization. We talked about office romance, fraternization, harassment, and some great ways that organizations can kind of get ahead of these types of things, a better way forward for them. And then we talked about this idea of mandatory fun and how uh, leaders, how organizations should approach social events in a better way. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.